0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today we have a crazy revenge story of getting a youth pastor suspended. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, boyfriend cheats on me with stripper, so I get him fired. When people attribute the male gender to cheating, I've always thought that they were exaggerating and that it couldn't be true. That was one of the most naive trains of thoughts I've ever had in my entire life. And I believe this till I properly enter the dating world. That was when my eyes opened up to the reality of the world. Every relationship I've been in up until that point ended because they always cheated on me. In the first relationship when I learned that he cheated on me, I confronted him and while he begged me to forgive him, I decided that I won't be able to do that if I didn't cheat back. And so I did. I cheated on my boyfriend with a high school friend, but it didn't do anything to erase the pain I felt. I couldn't stick with him any longer. I broke up with him and moved on. But that wasn't the end of it. The next few guys I've dated after that also cheated on me. I know some of you might be asking that how do I know this? Well, the truth is that I'm a very suspicious person. I'm not very trusting, and once I start dating someone, even when they're not giving me signs of their infidelity, I tend to look out for those signs. During the time of my first boyfriend, I found out by going through his social media. I found a number of girls that he was flirting with on snap, and even some that were sending him, well, inappropriate pictures. I also came across conversations with one particular girl, talking about their time together and how good he was in bed. With the next ones, I kicked it up a notch. After looking through their texts, I made sure to add their location to my phone using the Find My App on iPhone whenever I see them somewhere they shouldn't be. I call them to find out where they are, and if they lie about it, I tend to follow them in my free time to see where they go this is a bit unorthodox i know and some people might judge that i'm being a stalker but i had to be sure i wasn't being cheated on but unfortunately my hunch was right every time one time i found a particular boyfriend cheating on me with a close friend from class when this happened again and again i decided to look into what i was doing wrong after thorough research i decided that it was the type of guys i was dating I was used to dating pretty boys. I loved outgoing, tanned, muscular men with chiseled jaws and sexy eyes. I never really cared if they were smart or not. As long as you were a looker and you had a good social life, which involves partying at least three Fridays a month, it was good enough for me. But I realized that maybe it was my taste in men that was the problem. These men knew that they were handsome and could get more girls and so they did. My mistake was expecting loyalty or at least good values from half-witted male bimbos. I decided then that I was going to make a change, and that would involve me changing the type of men I hung out with. Instead of going out with extremely handsome-looking bad boys, I turned to the good guys. You know, the responsible-looking ones. The type of guys that were giving the suburban dad type of vibe. I targeted the ones that were not as good-looking as the guys I used to date because I felt like they were safe. But as I soon found out, no guy is safe. My relationship with Connor was surprisingly one of the worst relationships I've ever been in. He cheated on me with none other than a stripper. But before I get further into this, I'm gonna have to explain from where it all began. I found out on my 29th birthday that my ex-boyfriend Luke was cheating on me. The dude was hooking up with one of the girls in his band, and it wasn't until my birthday party I found out. He invited the whole band to my party and just disappeared in the middle of the celebrations. I've had my suspicion of him for some time, so I had earlier decided to keep an eye on him. As soon as he disappeared, I started to search for him around the apartment. I went downstairs to check, but his car was still in the garage, which meant that he was still in the building. I had a bad feeling, so I decided to abandon the guests and search the apartment building. Soon enough I found him at the top of our apartment building, the same apartment I paid for in fact, with this tramp from his band. I ruined my own party then and there by telling everyone to go home and throwing Luke's things out through the window. By that time I was fed up with the string of unserious boys I'd been moving around with. It was time I started looking for something serious and these boots weren't going to cut it. I had a drink with my friend Olivia a week later and I told her about my problem she merely laughed and said something which i thought to be true at the time she said that the boys we date during our young age are different from the ones we date when we're ready to settle down it's a big no-no to date a hot bad boy once you're ready for a relationship she further advised that to get the upper hand in the relationship it's advisable to go for the in her words safe men what are safe men you ask good question Safe men are the type of men who rank middle or low on the scale of social status, handsomeness, or riz. These are the types of guys who were nerds in high school and don't have a lot of girls on their socials, except maybe their mom and sisters. These type of men tend to appreciate women more because they don't have a lot of options. They won't believe their luck when you decide to date them, so they'll treat you as good as possible. It was refreshing to hear this because i've been through a lot with guys and i was finally ready to settle down with someone who will treat me as good as i deserved at first i tried my luck at a bar but then i wasn't finding anyone who matched that description and then i went to a club and then a major switch i went to the library but still nothing i went back to olivia and told her what was going on and she decided to take me to her cousin's wedding she believed that i'd find guys like this there and i did I met some really nice guys, but none of them was as attractive as I'd want. I can't date a four, definitely not anything lower than that. Olivia introduced me to some other men from her husband's country club, but still, nothing. Eventually, I decided to give up. It was quite difficult to keep searching for something you didn't really want in the first place. Everything changed one day when I was invited to a work function by a friend. It was supposed to be something like a mixer where all the employees of a company would gather and party at the end of the year's quarter. I wasn't into it at first, but it was a Friday night and I had nothing better to do. As soon as I got to the party, I regretted it immediately. When the friend that invited me told me it was a work function, somehow the work function part didn't register. I expected that it would be more of an actual party, then people in suits, sipping champagne and talking in low murmurs. Thankfully, the dress I chose matched the occasion. A couple minutes into the party, I was ready to leave, but then I turned to the side to pick up my fourth glass of champagne from a waiter's tray. That was when I noticed a guy at the other end of the room staring at me. As soon as our eyes met, he averted his gaze and downed his drink. I know the look he gave me. I've seen that look one too many times from other guys. He liked me. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I studied him for a moment. He wasn't the most handsome of the bunch, but he had a cuteness to him. He was a strong five and a half. He wore an expensive-looking Italian suit and a shiny Rolex... He looks like an important person in the firm so i decided that if he's interested in me i might as well go over and talk to him stopped by his side i said hi he looked at me and froze his eyes went wide and he didn't say anything for a moment he just stared at me i asked him what kind of champagne he was drinking and he stuttered for 10 straight seconds before answering for a moment i was scared that he was a stutterer I had to tell him to calm down, and I explained my motive for coming over to talk to him. I told him that I saw him staring at me, and I waited for him to come over and talk to me. When that didn't happen, I decided to take matters into my own hands, which was my reason for being there. He chuckled, and we introduced ourselves. Let's call him Connor. We started to talk, and by talk, I mean it was me doing the talking while he listened and commented where necessary. I'd have to admit, after we got over the initial awkwardness of the first contact, Our conversation started to go well. He was nervous and it showed, but I got him to relax as much as possible. I like confident men, but with most of the men I've dated, it usually borders on overconfidence. By the end of the party, I told him I enjoyed his company, which was only a half lie, and I'd like to see him again. He was visibly surprised by this and told me he'd like to see me again too. We exchanged contact details and I went home. I told my friend Olivia everything and she was elated. She told me once again that people like that might bore me, but the secret is molding them to the kind of man I like. We started to text on the phone, and I discovered that he was funnier and bolder on the phone than in real life. I guess that's just what happens when you can't see the person face to face. We texted for over a month, and during that time, I always tried to initiate conversation and steer him to the path of him asking me out, but every time I tried, it seemed like he wasn't getting the hint i had to come out and tell him that we should go on a date before he got it we went for dinner and he was back to his nervous self all in all the date was average on a scale of terrible and fairly good i didn't give up though we went out more and more till connor became more comfortable around me it took him six months to work up the courage to ask me to be his girlfriend which i said yes to immediately dating connor was well a different experience Most of the time, the only thing we did was go out to dinner or lunch and he'll talk about a firm where he'll be representing his company and making a pitch. It usually bored me out of my senses, but then again, there was a lot of upsides. Olivia was right when she said men like Connor knew how to treat women. He splurged heavily on me, he showered me with gifts, paid my rent and even sponsored my vacation trips. I've never been happier, but not for long. It's true. Connor was the perfect gentleman and I'm starting to really like him, but he's boring in every other aspect. The sex is bland and he never tried new things. I couldn't cope with that, so I told him and he was open to change. One day on his birthday, I decided to take him to a strip club. Before then, he'd never been to one, so I just decided to give him a treat. When we got there, I bought a dance from a dancer named Silva. It was fun watching him enjoy himself as she danced against him. He only started to relax when she talked to him. I was sitting a few seats away, so I couldn't hear what they were talking about. After our time at the club, Connor couldn't stop talking about the dancers. He talked about how beautiful and talented they are. This was his first time in a long time of being in a relationship, so I cut him some slack when he said those things. He didn't know that it was inappropriate to say such with his girlfriend seated beside him. The next weekend, Connor asked if we could go to the club again. I was happy about this because I thought finally he was coming out of his shell. We went to the same club and he bought a dance from a different dancer this time. But after that dance, he requested for Silva. And when he was told that she was with a different client, he said he was going to wait. I guess that was the moment where I was supposed to be suspicious, but I wasn't. I decided that Silva was more talented than the other girl and that was why he enjoyed being with her so much. The next Friday, he asked that we go to the club again. I encouraged his enthusiasm but I decided against the club. We went to a rave instead but he didn't enjoy himself as much as he did at the club. The next week after that he asked if we could go to the club again and I straightly said no. I've grown to dislike his obsession with the strip club and I decided that we were going to stay home that Friday and watch a movie. The next few weeks after that, I noticed that Connor was becoming distant. He no longer talked to me the way he used to. At first I thought he was getting stressed out with work, but I soon learned that that was not the issue. After a while, Connor started to make up reasons to stay late at work. At first I believed him because I was aware of a prospective investor he was supposed to lead a pitch to and I felt like that was what was taking his time. But it only got worse because he started to stay over in the office. I called him one too many times to bring his work home with him, but he refused. It went all to heck one day when I received a text from him saying he won't be home one night. That was the third night in a row that I was going to be alone in the house and I was fed up. I called him to try to convince him to bring his work home with him, but his number was switched off. I tried the number of a friend of his, let's call him Vince, and he picked up. I told Vince that I'd like to talk to Connor, but surprisingly, Vince said he wasn't in the office. This was weird because Connor had told me that he was working on the project with Vince, which meant that they were both supposed to be in the office. I asked Vince why he wasn't in the office with him, and here was where it got stranger. Vince said Connor couldn't be in the office because they both left at the same time. By this time my Connor is cheating on me senses were tingling but I didn't want to believe it. It was impossible for Connor to cheat on me I told myself but I had to be sure. The next day during his closing period I parked outside his office and as expected he called to tell me that he won't be coming home that night. I said okay and watched as he drove out of the building garage. I followed behind and where did he go? The club. I was disappointed but also relieved that it was only the club he was going to. It only meant that he hadn't gotten over his obsession. I was about to leave my car and walk into the club to confront him when he came out with a lady. Looking closer, I got a good look at who she was. It was Silva. I still didn't want to believe it and even as I followed them in my car, I didn't want to believe what I was seeing. Eventually, they got to an apartment building, and I watched them kiss passionately before entering the building. To say I was heartbroken was saying the least. Never have I felt so betrayed and humiliated. The guy I decided to settle for cheated on me also. For the first time in a long time, I cried. I was filled with anger, pain, and regret, and it wasn't long before I decided that I was going to get revenge. The next day, Connor decided to come home. The pitch was in a few days, and if he did well, it was supposed to be a turning point for his career. Two nights before, I decided to help him de-stress. While we were getting intimate, I decided to switch it up a little. I tied him to the bedpost and took a few pictures of him in that state. When he asked what it was for, I told him it was for the days when he had to stay over at the office. The next day, I printed out the pictures and made a few copies. Connor brings all his files home including the ones he's going to share to the clients during the pitch. So, the night before the big pitch, I snuck up when he was asleep and slipped the photos inside the client's files. Connor had done a thorough check before he went to bed, and I was sure he wasn't going to check again. It was a huge gamble, but it was one I was willing to take. The next day, he hurried to work, and I wished him good luck. After he left, I packed my bags, left a note saying we're over, and telling him to have a nice life with Silva. Then I left his apartment. He called me over 20 times a few hours later, but I didn't pick up. I could already guess what happened. I heard from the friend that invited me to that work function that Connor messed up the pitch by slipping some inappropriate pictures into the investor files, and he'd been fired from work. Till today, I haven't spoken to or heard from Connor, and I've decided that I'm going to take a break from the dating space. I mean, maybe it is all about the kind of guy's OP dates, but... OP's whole grading scale and who they're attracted to or not seems kind of shallow to begin with. Is it unfair to kind of say the problem here is OP's looking for people based off of looks alone and not actually the quality of their character? It might be fun to be with somebody that you look at and is like, yeah, they're so hot, but like, what's the point if they don't actually click? OP kind of treated their partners like flings. Our next story is, I got my youth pastor suspended and I felt good about it. Let me start this by saying that irrespective of what you think when you finally hear what I have to say, it does not change the fact that I did what I did, or that I was very much justified in doing it, because sometimes you just have to show the people that when they mess with you, they will get what they deserve coming at them. This is one of those scenarios. Martha and I, inseparable since childhood, shared a bond forged in the fires of countless childhood adventures. We were the kind of friends who knew what the other was thinking by looking into their eyes, or by listening to a scenario. We might not have finished each other's sentences, but our joint laughter echoed through sun-dappled woods and across dew-kissed meadows. We thought we knew everything about each other. Our dreams and secrets laid bare under the canvas of our unbreakable friendship. Then, one... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat... The world as we knew it began to shift. It was Leonard, a mutual friend, who introduced us to George, the magnetic youth pastor of our local church, a man with an aura of charisma that seemed to transcend earthly boundaries. George was the embodiment of spiritual devotion and wisdom. His eyes held a profound kindness. His words resonated with unwavering faith, and his presence alone inspired reverence among the congregation. Martha and I were captivated, and it was to be expected with the kind of person the youth pastor presented himself to be here was a figure whose guidance promised to elevate our lives beyond the mundane a beacon of spiritual enlightenment shining brightly in our small town world we welcomed him into our lives arms wide open like pilgrims stumbling upon an oasis in the desert george's teachings became a source of inspiration and his influence seeped into every facet of our existence As we grew older, we found our dreams and aspirations becoming inextricably intertwined with his words. George's sermons were more than just weekly rituals. They were the compass that steered our course through the tumultuous waters of adolescence. He saw us and spoke our language better than all of the other older pastors. It was like he was in a much older body, but he understood and remembered what it meant to be a teenager. He preached about the power of faith, the importance of community, and the boundless potential that lay dormant within each of us under his guidance our aspirations took root and flourished for martha it was the dream of becoming a humanitarian dedicating her life to helping those less fortunate inspired by george's teachings of compassion and selflessness she eagerly joined church initiatives aimed at assisting the needy her passion for social justice burned brightly a torch lit by the wisdom of our youth pastor As for me, George's sermons on the strength of the human spirit awakened a dormant desire to become a writer. His words ignited my imagination, painting vivid landscapes of a possibility in my mind. Through his teachings, I began to pen my own stories, weaving narratives of hope, redemption, and the resilience of the human soul. To sum it up, I would say we believed in George, not just as a spiritual leader, but as a mentor and guide through life's trials and tribulations. He had bridged the gap between the divine and the everyday making the profound seem attainable and the distant seem near but it wasn't just with george our friendship with leonard who had introduced us to george deepened as well we found ourselves united in our shared devotion to our youth pastor and the transformative power of his teachings our small circle became a tight-knit community bound by a common faith and a shared dream of making the world a better place these were the things that we saw. We didn't pay close attention to what was happening behind the scenes. We were perfectly oblivious to the cracks that had begun to emerge and would eventually shake through the foundation of the very friendship we thought was knitted tight. As I would finally come to learn, time is a peculiar force. It has the power to reveal truths that remain hidden in the brilliance of initial impressions. Days rolled by into weeks, and those weeks and months led us to years and it got to the point where the once-illuminating presence of George, our beloved youth pastor, began to cast ominous shadows upon our lives. George's initial kindness had been like a gentle breeze, comforting and soothing. His advice had been sought after like the counsel of a wise elder, but gradually, his benevolence transformed into something entirely different. What we had perceived as guidance was now revealed as control, his apparent wisdom a mask for manipulation. Things like this never occurred with the commanding voices or tones. You just have to pick up on the hints, and the hints came like pressuring innuendos that led you to believe the idea came from over your head and that was the only choice to make. It began subtly, almost imperceptibly, like a fog rolling in from the horizon. George's influence over our decisions increased, seeping into the crevices of our lives. He urged us to follow his lead under the guise of spiritual guidance, his words carrying an air of divine authority that left little room for dissent. What had been a choice slowly transformed into obligation, and the lines between our own desires and his commands began to blur. Martha and I, once united in our adoration of George, found ourselves diverging on this perilous path. Martha's loyalty to our youth pastor remained steadfast, An unwavering devotion that seemed immune to the creeping doubts that had begun to haunt me. She saw what I called him, controlling us as an extension of his wisdom, a necessary aspect of spiritual growth. In Martha's eyes, George was merely shepherding his flock, guiding us along a righteous path. She believed that his intentions, however obscure they may appear, were rooted in love and concern for our spiritual well being. To her, his every word was a sacred truth. His every commandment, a divine directive. But for me, the skeptical stance I had about his actions had taken root. I couldn't ignore the unsettling feeling that had nestled itself deep within my soul. George's insistence on dictating our every move and his demands for unquestioning obedience began to suffocate me. What had once been a sanctuary of faith now felt like a prison of dogma, its walls closing in with each passing day. I wrestled with the knowledge that something was amiss, but my doubts were met with resistance. Whenever I dared to voice my concerns, I was met with stern admonishments from George and Martha. While visibly comfortable, remained staunchly loyal. The isolation weighed heavily on me and felt as if my world was shrinking and the person who had once been my closest confidant was now distanced by an unbridgeable chasm of faith. George's control extended beyond our spiritual lives seeping into the most intimate corners of our existence. He made decisions for us, orchestrated our activities, and directed our friendships. Our world had become his carefully crafted stage, and we were merely actors following his script. The worst part of the scenario was how I knew that talking to my parents about what I felt was going on was a no-no. For one, he was a pastor, the youth pastor, and it sure did not help that I praised him and made my parents feel like the older generation and pastors were the problem. I had painted him to be perfect, and I could not clean the canvas. But all of that did not hurt as much as it did when I realized that I’d begun to lose my best friend. My nights grew restless as I grappled with the realization that my once thriving friendship with Martha was slipping away. She was steadfast in George’s teachings, and any doubt I expressed were perceived as heresy. I could understand her thoughts because if anyone had told me there was something off about the youth pastor, I would have reacted similarly as she did. The laughter and shared secrets of our past seemed like distant echoes fading into the abyss. I tried to find solace in my journal, pouring out my conflicted emotions onto its pages. In the silent confines of those words, I explored the boundaries of my growing discontent. The act of writing became my sanctuary. A place where i could express the turmoil that gnawed at my spirit yet despite the burgeoning turmoil i clung to the hope that george's intentions were pure that my doubts were merely the product of a restless mind my faith though strained still lingered like a flickering candle in the darkness but as cracks in a facade are bound to make themselves self-evident in the long run so did the cracks in the faith i tried to hold on to The moment arrived like a tempest, a gathering storm that had been building within me for far too long. I could no longer bear the weight of the doubts, the unease that had nestled itself deep within my heart. It was time to confront George, our once-beloved youth pastor, about his manipulation and control. I thought I knew what I was doing when I went to confront him. I actually thought I had enough evidence in hand to bring him down. In retrospect, I imagine that he must have thought me to be a very silly and ignorant child. Because, to be fair, that was exactly what I acted like. The atmosphere in Pastor George's office was laden with tension as I hesitantly broached the subject that had been haunting my thoughts. Once warm and comforting, his eyes now bore an intensity that sent shivers down my spine. But I pressed on, determined to unearth the truth that lay beneath the surface. George, I began, my voice quivering. I've been feeling like, like things have changed. You're different and not in a good way it's like you're trying to control every aspect of our lives and it's suffocating george's response was immediate and unwavering a torrent of authority crashing against the fragile dam of my doubts he leaned forward his face inches from mine and spoke with an intensity that left no room for dissent. lily he said his voice low and commanding what you perceive as control is merely guidance i'm here to lead you on the path of righteousness to help you avoid the pitfalls that await those who stray from the faith. Your concerns are misguided, and I urge you to trust in my wisdom. I was taken aback by his forcefulness, his absolute certainty that he held the moral high ground. My words faltered, and my doubts seemed feeble in the face of his conviction, but I couldn't let his authority silence my concerns. I needed answers and clarity about the path we were on. I just want to understand, George, I stammered. To know what we're doing is right. It feels like we've lost ourselves in the process. But my plea fell on deaf ears. George's response was dismissive, his gaze unwavering as he reiterated his authority. Trust in me, Lily, he insisted, and you will find the answers you seek. That was how the conversation ended, but in my head it felt more like he had acknowledged the fact that he had grown to be controlling. I left George's office with a heavy heart, the weight of his authority pressing down on me. The aftermath of that confrontation cast a long shadow over my life martha who had been present during the exchange stood by george without question her loyalty to him unwavering to her my doubts were an affront to the very core of our faith a betrayal of the man who had guided us with unwavering devotion our friendship once a source of unbreakable strength strained under the weight of these tensions martha and i grew distant the laughter and shared secrets of our past becoming distant echoes i felt isolated adrift in a sea of doubts and suspicions betrayed by the person i had trusted most i knew the church community would rally behind george viewing him as a beacon of spiritual guidance but i couldn't ignore the nagging doubts that had taken root in my heart in writing to myself in the corner of my lonely room i decided to do a check on pastor george i just felt like something was vaguely off about him in a way that i'd never questioned and I decided to act on that feeling. I questioned my motives and my right to challenge a man who had been a pillar of our community. I wrestled with guilt and confusion, wondering if I was the one who had strayed from the path of righteousness. It seemed that every step I took in pursuit of the truth led me further into a labyrinth of uncertainty. Despite the way everyone left me in a den of my emotions and uncertainty, a spark of defiance continued to burn within me. I couldn't accept blind obedience as the only path to faith. The doubts that had driven a wedge between Martha and me also fueled my determination to uncover the truth, to unravel the mysteries hidden behind the facade that threatened to shroud my life in darkness. I found myself standing at a moral crossroads, teetering on the precipice of a decision that would forever alter the course of our lives. The once unbreakable bond between Martha and me had been shattered by the growing chasm of doubt and I could no longer bear the weight of our fractured friendship. Revenge, however ill-advised it may have been, became my mission. A way to restore justice and, perhaps, to vindicate myself. My quest for answers began with the collection of evidence. Evidence that I hoped would pierce the veil of George's perceived infallibility. I was determined to expose his actions, to lay bare the truth for the entire congregation to see. This was when I found out about the issues with the finances, but to bring this to the public? To show him as the person that I only saw, I needed irrefutable proof of his financial misconduct and emotional manipulation. I began with the financial trail, scouring the church's records, bank statements, and donation ledgers. What I discovered was a web of financial irregularities that left no room for doubt. Money intended for charitable causes had mysteriously disappeared into accounts controlled by George, enriching him, while the needy went unaided. It helped that I knew my way around. I didn't start being sneaky when George came around. To be honest, I was shocked and disheartened by the sheer extent of the betrayal, but it only fueled my determination. Justice demanded exposure, and I was committed to delivering it simultaneously i began cataloging instances of emotional manipulation that had woven a web of control around our lives i reached out to those within the congregation who had experienced similar manipulative tactics gathering their stories and experiences to create a comprehensive dossier if i felt it others must have too maybe not on the same scale but they had to have and some did some teenagers had become distant for a while because they thought pastor george was too hard on them. Funny how I thought they were unrepentant liars at that time. The whole process was agonizing, each testimonial a painful reminder of the trust that had been violated. Many, like me, had been drawn to George's charismatic charm and unwavering faith only to find themselves ensnared in a web of obedience and dependency. The emotional toil was immeasurable, and the stories I collected painted a disturbing picture of a man who had used his influence to exploit the vulnerable. But the burden of my secret became increasingly isolating. I could no longer confide in Martha, whose loyalty to George remained unwavering. My confessions and attempts to share my discoveries only deepened the divide between us. She saw my actions as a betrayal, a breach of trust that overshadowed any concerns I had about George's true nature. The day I decided to reveal the truth to the congregation was a day fraught with tension and apprehension. The weight of my actions pressed down on me like a leaden cloak as I prepared to unveil the contents of my dossier to a gathering of church members. As I stood before the leaders of the congregation, the faces of those I'd known for years stared back at me. A sea of expectant expressions mingled with skepticism. But who could blame them? I'd not been on my best behavior for a while. The room seemed to hold its breath as I presented the evidence. Each piece a damning indictment of George's actions. The atmosphere was charged with tension, and my voice wavered as I recounted the stories of manipulation and the financial misconduct that had betrayed our trust. It was a reckoning, a moment of truth that would either vindicate my actions or cast me further into the abyss of isolation. This time, they could not deny me my voice because I was armed with evidence both on the count of manipulation and on the financial discrepancies I'd stumbled upon. The revelation sent shockwaves through the congregation igniting a firestorm of conflicting emotions some members were outraged their trust in george shattered others remained steadfast in their devotion unwilling to accept the truth that now lay before them but it didn't end there the story spread like wildfire with different additions and subtractions but no one knew who reported the loving pastor to the leaders but the painful part in all of it was that the seed George had planted in Martha remained. I never got my best friend back. Good thing I had him suspended and transferred. We both didn't get what we wanted. Hearing a story like this is sad to me because faith can be a very powerful, moving and transformative thing for a lot of people. But then there are some people in these positions who take advantage of it, especially for financial gain. I mean, there's a whole historical precedent of an entire movement solely based around the fact of these people in these positions being so financially greedy and making religion about how much you can give up that the wealthy will always be the ones who are saved. While it can be a hugely beneficial thing for a lot of people, it can also be used horrendously too. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.